There are many things about acquisition entrepreneurship that I love. Here are just three. Often you have the opportunity to buy a business where the seller is tired or conservative or otherwise resting on their laurels, and you can come in as new owner with a new set of eyes, bring all your vigor and vision, and in the happiest of cases, just grow the business like crazy. Another thing I like, the niche hiding in plain sight, funky nature of so many of these SMBs that you can buy out there. And lastly, how buying a business can set people on a whole new trajectory, one that is very often more exciting, more fulfilling, and let's not forget, more financially rewarding than whatever they were doing before. Today's guest, Jason Klein, embodies all three of these. Last year at age 50, Jason, with his wife Linda by his side, stepped off the corporate path he'd been on for over 20 years to buy a flower distribution business in Florida. I like distribution businesses, and I like flowers, so I was eager to sink my teeth into this one. Hopefully you're eager to hear it. Here is Jason Klein, owner of Kauai Isle Flowers. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. August Felker is a two-time successful searcher, first with a traditional search fund. The second time around, he did a self-funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies, an insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great no-risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers. They've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out oberly-risk.com, O-B-E-R-L-E hyphen risk.com. Link in the show notes. Jason Klein, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thanks. Thanks, Will, for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Thank you. Jason, you acquired a flower distribution business in South Florida. You are a mid-career professional undertaking this venture. So you've actually been a corporate guy for 20, 25 years. But as of June, last June, so you just passed June 2021, so you've just passed a year, you are the owner of Kauai Isle Flowers, which distributes 40,000 flowers a month to 600 stores. So we are going to learn today how you went from point A to point B here. Start us off, Jason, with a quick history on you. Condense those couple of decades of corporate life into, into a couple minutes and we'll, and we'll kick it off. Sure. Well, I appreciate you first um, uh, uh, characterizing me as mid-career. So I'm, I'm currently <laughs> 51. Um, gosh, I hope I'm I'm well past mid-career, but 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 I appreciate uh, I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> um, sure. So so a quick bio. I um, uh, I actually started out uh, professionally in the military. I was in the military for six years uh, in the Air Force. Uh, left that. It was a great. Enjoyed it. Uh, I, I loved it. Um, and loved getting out just as much <laughs> and then um, uh, left the military, uh, was actually a police officer and joined a tiny little healthcare software company and uh, really stayed in healthcare IT for 
for quite a few years, the better part of the 20 to 25 years, uh, grew along the, uh, uh, you, you know, progressed through uh, the executive ranks, uh, eventually made my way to senior executive positions, stayed in healthcare uh, almost exclusively the entire time. Um, so uh, my, my last sort of big stop was, was at a, uh, a very significantly sized uh, Fortune 50, if you will, uh, healthcare company uh, doing laboratory diagnostics work, and uh, so it was a great it was a great career. Uh, I, I, for the most part, loved it, but then reached a pivotal moment. Uh, I think both with where corporate has gone nowadays uh, mm-hmm. and my age and things that I wanted to do, and and sort of reached a moment where uh, I had to make a decision and uh, made, made that decision to, to, to buy the flower company. And what, what, where has corporate gone these days and what was this decision? Like, what are you kind of alluding to? Yeah, sure. No, um, thank you for the follow-up. So um, the, uh, I'll, first I'll describe the moment that I had and then um, actually my wife and I had. So in the midst of COVID, uh, you know, just like everyone else, we were stuck at home and uh, doing phone calls like this on Zoom and mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, this particular company I was with, we were we were debating vacation policy with with some M and A that we had done. And as those acquisitions came in, you know, uh, vacations had to sort of be uh, reconciled and and consistent throughout the the organization. <laughs> and uh, gosh, we probably spent no less than six weeks over and over again debating the same topic over and over and over again. And it was, it was my wife actually who looked at me and said, how many times are you going to discuss this? Are you, are you serious that this is what your job is now? And uh, that was sort of the moment where I said, you know, it's just time to do something else. And, and as far as my comments about corporate, you, you know, from my experience, the, the major corporations now, uh, once you reach sort of mid-level management, upper management, your, your day is going to be occupied with 80% work day <laughs> tickets, uh, you, you know, just dealing with what I call the mayonnaise of, of sort of any sort of corporation. Um, that's going to be 80% of your job. And 20% is actually getting your hands into the subject matter that you, that you joined or that you, that you enjoy doing. And, and that just wasn't fulfilling for me at the end of the day. It wasn't fulfilling to sit on phone calls and, and sort of debate bureaucratic processes. I wanted to get my hands dirty and do what I enjoyed to do. So, mm-hmm. Great. Thank you for that, uh, for that explanation. You know, um, as I heard about when you described your early, early career right out of the military, as a, you, you kind of um, glossed over it, but you were a police officer. Uh, so Military, a military for, police officer, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you're actually my second former police officer or military police officer in this case, um, who's bought a business and, uh, John Hubbard actually also is in Tampa. So I don't know what it is about former police officers buying businesses in Tampa, but there you go. I'll look Um, John up. I'll have to look. (laughs) Yeah, you should. He's got a great story. Um, but anyway, it, it sounds like you have done a big career pivot before. Now, I don't know how long ago, I guess it was about 20 years ago to, or plus that you did the, sure. that you went from former military police officer to corporate guy. Um, but you've taken leaps before in your career. So I guess um, maybe you have a track record of, of big moves. 
So anyway, I do. Or can, I do. can you elaborate? And I, and I, I'm, I'm largely not uh, not afraid of some risk, which I think is helpful in what we're going to be talking about today, right? I mean, I, I, totally. I guess maybe the military or my family upbringing, who they were all military as well. Um, you, you don't shy away from risk, right? So if you're going to enjoy life, uh, one of the sayings that I've always lived by is you get one ride on this planet. You mm-hmm. only get one ride. So how are you going to spend it? And in my opinion, you're going to ride it. And you're going to ride the heck out of it. Have mm-hmm. a good time. Be fulfilled. Be happy. Go do the things that you want to do because you only get one shot. Yeah, I love it. I, I try to live that way myself. Perfect um, tee up to this decision. So you, um, you're, you, you finally have, have reached your wits end with the corporate mayonnaise and you, you choose to buy a business. You could have chosen any number of things. Why buy a business? And, um, as a follow on why, if you wanted to do something, be a small business owner, why not start a business from scratch? Great questions. Um, yeah. So we, when we reached our moment, when we had our sort of, okay, you know, we've always sort of, when I say we, my wife and I, um, uh, my wife and I, Linda, uh, we've been together for 30 years. And so she's been with me by my side through thick and thin. So there's no way I would have ever done anything without her uh, being mm-hmm. on board with it. So it was a, it was a very much a, a, an us decision to, to go ahead and take the risk and, and make the leap. Um, and so we, we, had, we had always sort of dabbled in the idea of like, wow, gosh, wouldn't it be great to own our own thing, do our own thing. And, um, um, you know, so, so, we, so we reached that moment in, in corporate so now, okay, great. We're, we're convinced it's going to happen. What are we going to do? Um, so the first thing that we, we, we sort of reflected on is look, we can't be miserable. So, to, you know, we're not going to go buy something where we're not going to love what we're doing. <laughs> you got to enjoy what you're going to spend your day to day on. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so Back to your life philosophy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Forget it. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in doing anything that is going to you know, I want to, I love Mondays. Mondays are great for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, awesome. it's, it's, it's a fresh opportunity to dive into a fresh week and, and, and do some, some, some pretty cool stuff. So, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, so we had to love it. Uh, and, and for us, uh, you know, we, we have moved quite a bit. So we had, this is our 12th home that we own. Uh, so we had sort of looked at the idea of, well, hey, maybe some sort of improve, home improvement business. Um, we, we got very close to that. Um, we, we explored it. We looked at that opportunity. We, I, I enjoy it. We, we, we love to sort of dabble in the house and do some fix them up kind of things. And sure, um, uh, sure you know, so that that was a great business opportunity. We live in uh, we live in uh, Tampa, Florida. And, uh, you know, over this covid time frame, there's a lot of people coming here. Housing has just been been great. Um, so there's a lot of um, renovation opportunity for us here. So we saw the market, it, we enjoyed it. We were very close. Um, the best opportunity for us would have been a franchise. And once again, the wisdom of my wife prevailed. She said, hmm, franchise. And we were close. We were this close. She said, franchise, interesting. So you're going to have a boss again. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, that's one way to put it, but you know, there'll be freedom. And she's like, yeah, but not the freedom that you want. I said, you're absolutely right. So the good news, um, the, the, the blessing with that is it had started to put us in the circle. 
the circle of brokers, the, the sort of put yourself out there that you're interested in buying a business, you're interested in starting something, and now you're in the network. And mm-hmm. sure enough, we had stumbled on the right broker. And uh, he actually said, hey, take a look at this, which happened to be um, Kauai Isle Flowers. And, uh, you know, at first, uh, you know, flowers was something that we're, we're interested in. We like to, we like to plant and landscape and, and, and sort of do this thing. Who doesn't love flowers? Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we were, we were sort of big fans initially of, okay, well, the, the, the genre certainly seems right, but you know, then there's this, this thought of like, okay, well, but flowers, I don't really want to own a flower shop. Right. So I really wasn't interested in the the, you know, let's open up at eight, let's close at five, let's make some bouquets. And it just wasn't very interesting to us. Not that there's anything wrong with that type of business, but it just wasn't the retail, the retail aspect, the retail, typical mom and pop, you know, flower shop. It just wasn't, you know, to me, it just wasn't going to be an interesting enough uh, business to jump into. Okay. And then we, you know, so we, 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 we asked our broker, we said, well, how, how much, uh, you know, let's take a look at some P and L uh, and, and I started to look at the volume and I said, my gosh, this is a ton of flowers. How, how, what in the world <laughs> do they actually do? And um, it, it, it turned out to be a pretty cool opportunity. It's a niche business. Um, it serves um, some of the, uh, the more underserved stores in, in the realm of flowers. And uh, this, this particular company um, started 30 years ago and sort of had grown to a point where it needed some um, some fresh eyes on it. And, uh, it just seemed ripe for what we were looking for. Wow. It's big enough. It's exciting enough. It's got a great track record. Uh, this could be the fit for us. And so that's, that's how we got there and then took the opportunity. Cool. Well, I, w- I want to get into more about the business itself, but first a couple other questions. Um, I, I am really struck by, by your use of the word we and how you're, 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 you're collaborating with your wife on all these big decisions. Is she working in the business with you? She is. Um, I, I would say she's sort of the, the back office side of it. So mm-hmm. the, the, the business requires sort of a front end, right? The, 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 the flowers have to be, we, we acquire flowers from Ecuador and Colombia. Those all have to be brought in, prepared, shipped out. There's a lot of distribution work that has to get done. So we sort of call that the front of the house. That's where mm-hmm. I spend the bulk of my time. And then there's the back of the house, right? So the back of the house is things have to get paid for, Accounts payable, accounts receivable, uh, the books, working with uh, the accountants, those types of things. And that's where Linda helps out. And was she um, doing something before this? Or so when you were looking at businesses, the idea that you would both be participating in the business? <laughs> great, great question. Yeah. So so our children, um, we, we actually, um, let's see, what was now about 16, 15, 16 years ago, uh, adopted two children from Siberia. And so that was her full-time job. For quite a few years, so so a, a sort of another pivotal moment for us is we're 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 soon to be empty nesters. So mm-hmm. um, this was a great opportunity for her to transition from being a a, a full time full time mom to mm-hmm. to now getting her hands back into uh, 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 you know typical sort of work, I guess you would say. Sure. Um, Great. Well it, well, it really does sound like a great fit for, for the, the two of you. The, and then just the, the question about starting something from scratch. It sounds like you guys had kind of decided at the outset you'd buy something. And was that, is that kind of the, the typical reasons that you wanted something that already had legs, already had SDE that you could live off of, all, all of that stuff? Or were there other reasons? 
I think so. I, I, I think, you know, a big influence was, you know, having SDE to work with. We wanted something that that had, had exi- that was ready to be taken to another level, that was ready to be invested in. Um, the, the idea of starting from scratch, um, it just wasn't going to fit our, uh, I'll say, lifestyle, to, to be honest. Yeah. It just, it, yeah. we wanted something that was already on the ground. Sure, sure. So, Jason, on there's the appeal of buying a business, of course, supporting a lifestyle that you and your wife already had. Um, the SDE is, is the number you're going to be looking at first and foremost. Um, can you share what uh, what Kauai was doing when you were acquiring it? Wouldn't it be great to have experts at your back when buying a business? People to help you polish up your pitch and processes as you go to market as a searcher, then help you evaluate opportunities once you get some deal flow. Such experts exist, buy-side advisors, but they'll cost you to the tune of tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. But another option exists, the Acquisition Lab. The lab is a do-it-with-you buy-side advisory service, not do-it-for-you. Founded by Walker Dibel, author of Buy Then Build, the lab represents Walker's vision for what is most needed to make a searcher successful and available at an accessible price. It's cohort-based, and you will come out the other side of your cohort prepared to go to market as a savvy searcher with a tight message and process so brokers take you seriously, pre-approved for a loan, and with an entire community at your disposal to help you along the journey to buying a business. To learn more, check out acquisitionlab.com, link in the show notes. Sure. So uh, the, 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 the business at that time was uh, slightly over a million in revenue. And uh, I, I would say they were SDE was around two two fifty at the time. Um, okay, and so um, that's that's where we started, um, which which for us was was a good enough starting point. Uh, certainly not where we wanted to be, but um, was was enough for us to get started. Okay, and when you say it wasn't enough, well, first of all, did you take a loan to acquire the business, or did you? What, what was the deal structure? I did not. I, this this was a cash deal. So, uh, as I had mentioned earlier in the interview, I had been with some pretty large companies uh, and had done. Uh, uh, conversely, to where things are right now, the stock market used to be a pretty good place, <laughs> and yeah. um, and and still will be, still will be. Um, uh, but we did uh, we did pretty well in the stock market, and so so I I funded it myself. Oh, wow. Oh, that's great. And did you consider an SBA loan or did you just would rather have just it wasn't drawn to it? I, I did. I did. Uh, and then re-enter mayonnaise. Right. So um, the, the <laughs> <laughs> so, so so the unfortunate process with with an SBA loan and getting a bank and and, uh, you know, just going through the well, like I said, going through the mayonnaise is just just wasn't it just wasn't timely. It just, it's, it's too long, yeah. too slow. And we wanted to move and had the money. So it just skipped it. You know, Jason, you had said earlier about when you were looking at the franchise deal and in doing this kind of outreach and getting to know the local network of brokers, um, that, that, that process kind of, yeah, it connected you to this network. And one of the things that my guests actually sometimes struggle with is being taken seriously as as a buyer, as a searcher, you know, if they're first timers, who many of my many of my almost all of my guests are, um, 
just because in the world of business brokerage, there are a lot of tire kickers. There are a lot of people who say they want to buy a business but aren't very serious. And so brokers can be um, dismissive, can be not get back to you if you're a first-time buyer because they just don't want to waste their time with people they don't take seriously. But it sounds like you didn't have that problem. And I wonder if part of it was because you made it clear that you were a cash buyer because that's that's probably pretty unusual at this end of the market. I suspect so. I suspect that changed, changed things quite a bit. Because uh, we did, we did not experience that, um, and and at no time, you know, when I, during the process, either with the, the franchise that we were looking at, or or ultimately the business that we bought, we we, you know, we sort of hedged our bet in the conversation as to how we would fund it. It's a, it's a normal part of the conversation. How are you going to fund this? How are you going to purchase it? Well, you know, we're looking at a couple of options. I might do a mix. I might do this, but you know, Hey, by the way, I actually have the cash. I just don't know whether mm -hmm. that's going to be the way we finally finance it. And, and I, I do think that, um, having the cash and being able to prove it sort of changes everything. You know, the, the whole conversation yeah. just sort of pivots once they know you have the money and can get the deal done, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so it was doing 200, 250 in SDE, and you felt that as a, that would be a good start to support the lifestyle that you all had and reinvest into the business? Because it sounds like you were, I mean, most buyers are growth-oriented, but it sounds like you were particularly so. Um, so I imagine you were looking at that SDE number and allocating a part of that in your mind to reinvestment in the business. Talk, talk me through that. Absolutely. So, so one of the criteria, you know, I sort of shared the first criteria. The first criteria had to be something that we enjoyed doing, that we wanted to get up every day and, and sort of deal with. I use the word deal with, not in a negative context, but we were not naive, right? I'm, uh, you know, with my age and my experience, I know that there's nothing out there that, that is in business that is just you know, wake up and it's all rainbows and unicorns and lollipops. I mean, it's, you know, everything, it's why they call it work. It's called work. So, so uh, in order to sort of be motivated to get up and work, you've got to love it. You've got to enjoy it. But the second criteria was that it was something we could take and grow. Um, so, so I am experienced. I did go to business school. I did want to do something. So I wasn't interested yet, yet. I'm, I'm only 51. Uh, and as you said, I'm only midway, mid-career. <laughs> um, I, I was not interested in just putting my feet up. So, so I'm not ready to just sort of like have something generate SDE. I'm not really going to do anything. That's not what we were interested in doing at all. We wanted something that we could see potential in to say, okay, how do I take this, grow it, double it, add customers, you know, increase revenue, right? So, so I, I, I didn't want something that's just like, okay, well, you can figure out how to cut costs, right? I mean, you can cut 10, 20% yeah. cost. That's sort of an easy thing to do, but, but was there something out there that we could, that we could get a hold of where, you know, we could double, triple, quadruple revenue. And, and yeah. we believe we found it. Okay. Uh, and I want to, I want you to explain to us why you thought this business, what potential you saw in this business. But first, um, describe a little bit more about what the business does. It's flower distribution, pretty simple, but just give us a little bit more of the kind of economics. You said that it, it it's really serving um, stores that might not otherwise be, otherwise be served by flower distribution. They're not florists. So give us a little bit more color sure, on all sure. that. Sure, sure. So here's, here, here's the business in a nutshell. So we import uh, the, the same roses that you can get from anywhere else. I mean, pretty much all roses, all fresh flowers uh, come from either Ecuador or Colombia. 
uh, at least on on uh, this side of the ocean, so to speak. We're not talking about Europe. Uh, we're talking about yeah. the United States. So the the primary source for for most flowers is South America, Ecuador, or Colombia, uh, and and then. Second to that, most of those flowers in the United States come through Miami. So our, our, we have a partner uh, and that partner is in Miami and we import the flowers from either Ecuador or Colombia. Right now it's exclusively Colombia, given all the unrest in, in Ecuador that's happening right now. <clears throat> so uh, those flowers are prepared and brought to our office in St. Pete. So we're, we're headquartered, our, our depot is in St. Pete. And then we distribute uh, exclusively to convenience stores. Um, so all convenience stores, small grocery chains, mom and pop grocery stores. So this is not, you know, we're not taking flowers to the traditional locations of, say, um, well, here in Florida, it's Publix, Publix grocery stores, um, you know, Costco, Sam's or um uh, you know your your normal mom and pop florist. We don't we don't do that. We 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 serve the convenience market and and small grocery chains. And so that would be Seven Elevens. I think mm-hmm. you mentioned in our pre call. Yep. Um, so so both mom and pop, but also larger franchisees of, a, of like a Seven Eleven, and then just yeah, your corner bodega sort of thing. Exactly right. Yeah, Seven Eleven, Seven Eleven, and Circle K are are our two biggest customers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you have relationships with corporate at Circle K and 7-Eleven or, or do you and or your, your predecessor, did they go out and, and develop relationships with each individual franchisee? How does that work? Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, it's a little different for each chain. Um, so uh, if you we'll, we'll talk about 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven primarily operates with a franchise model. So most of 7-Elevens out there are not corporate-owned stores. They are franchise stores. And you that, that's exactly how it works. So, so you know, they have, they have groups or consortiums in different regions where you develop a relationship there. So you harness the relationship with those regions, word gets out, word of mouth, and then um, you're, you're in those stores. Um, mm-hmm. Circle K, uh, conversely, is primarily a corporate uh, owned store. Most stores are corporate owned. And there you have category managers who decide the products that go into the stores. And so there you develop a relationship more on a corporate level and, and manage the relationship that way. So, uh, and then of course, mom and pops are exactly how they sound. They're mom and pops. So you're on mm-hmm. the street and you're, you're visiting those, those stores directly and uh, hearing what they want as a customer and, and providing them the same service. Great. Um, well, obviously, there's a, a lot of what you bought is the is the the the, the relationships. Mm-hmm. A lot of the value of this business that you acquired is is in those pre existing relationships. Um, and so, what did you and your wife see that you, in this business that you thought what made it so growable? Ah, great question. So the fir- there were two things. Uh, one, when we bought it, it was a predominantly Seven Eleven uh, customer base. And so we knew right away, gosh, there's a lot more convenience stores out there than 7-Eleven. Uh, so, so we saw the potential to reach out to other organizations. Uh, the other was that it was regionally confined mostly to central Florida. So um, really in between, I'll just call it Daytona and Daytona Beach, which is on the Atlantic side and Tampa, which is on the Gulf side and sort of that stretch in the middle, Orlando being there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so 
there was both opportunity to add additional customer uh, relationships as well as grow into other regions. And so that's exactly what we're doing. So, so we actually added uh, Circle K as a customer. Uh, and then um, I guess I'll announce here on your show uh, that next month uh, we uh, are uh, going to launch our second location up in uh, uh, near the Jacksonville area so that we will go and capture the same customer base up in well, I call it northern Florida, um, mm-hmm. because right now we are limited. You know, roses are a perishable product, so you're somewhat limited in in the areas that you can distribute. Uh, by how fast you can get a car there. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I can't drive mm-hmm. from St. Pete to Atlanta. So I have to have depots that are close enough uh, to distribute the flowers. And um, uh, as, I, as I said, we're, we're launching our second location in August. Um, and we've already got, we probably already have another uh, over 200 customers waiting for us to get up there. So wow. we're excited. Congratulations. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. That's awesome. Wait, so so help me understand the sales process here. Sure. So, well, f- first question is just to to get a lay of the land. Like, so if I'm m- many, I feel like many distribution businesses, um, the pie isn't necessarily growing. Correct me if I'm wrong. So, in your case, are are you seeing a lot of kind of greenfield opportunities where there are convenience stores that do not are not currently selling flowers, and you can just go right in there and say, "Hey, start selling flowers with me." Or are you having to eat some other guy's business and take the relationship from a different flower distribution company? Sure, a little both, a little of both. Um, in 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 one scenario, we we have displaced competitors, uh, and I'll explain the the advantage that we have. Um, uh, in in others, there there's a tremendous amount of convenience stores that are just not being served. So it is not typical or traditional to have flowers inside of convenience stores. So there is yeah. still a tremendous amount of greenfield opportunity, as you said, for us to go out there, get on the street and get flowers into these organizations. Yeah. And so what's helpful is we already have it. So, so, so it's very easy to do. I, I say easy. Um, but when you already have the established route and you're already passing some of these stores, you know, it's, it's not too tough of a sell to go in and say, Hey, listen, we already pass you. We're already here. We're in 600 stores of your competitors. We'd love to put this in your store. And, you know, if it works out great, it's a win-win. If it doesn't work out, you know, we're here every week. So we deliver the flowers weekly. And if it's not a good fit or it doesn't work out, then it's okay. You know, we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's not a particular difficult sell, um, given the way that we're, we're already sort of in place and established in such a wide network. Um, yeah. 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 I'll, and, and get, and, and getting the decision maker, like if you, you know, you walk in to a convenience store to do the sale, to kind of make your pitch is getting the decision, getting the, the attention of the decision maker difficult or. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword uh, with what's been going on in the economy with the economy being as tough as it is. A lot of these convenience store owners and managers are having to uh, actually work. <laughs> so they, they, they can't get, <laughs> they can't get staff. And so the yeah. absence of that staff, meaning they're in the shop, they're actually running the store. Yeah. And so they're available to us. <laughs> so they're there. Um, now um, uh, the, the, of course the downside is you, you got to hit them at the right time. So, um, yeah, you know, they're typically there wanting to open up the store at 6 a.m. 
and uh, you know they'll usually work a day shift so so you've sort of got this window of time that you've got to be there and you can usually get the the decision maker that needs to uh that needs to be there the other nice thing with with convenience stores is they are typically not just owned uh, one person doesn't own one store you know, you know typically they own a network of 5 to 10 stores so when you do land that person you sort of make that relationship uh he or she is typically yeah, yeah, and I have five of these other stores. Go ahead and take all of them too. So, yeah. so you land the one, and it's going to get you a network of another five to ten stores. Which, um, so I was going to ask about these two hundred locations waiting for you in a in a, a market that's brand new to you. Mm-hmm. How do you have so many locations waiting for you? Is it because you talk to the ten right people and they each own twenty stores, or what? Yeah, great question. It's um, uh, as I mentioned. Remember, there were two types of relationships: one, the Seven Eleven franchise model; the other, is Circle K, which is a corporate model. Uh, in this case, the bulk of those stores that are waiting for us are Circle K corporate. So you make. You know, mm-hmm. we reached out with our success that we had here in Central Florida. I sort of piggybacked on that, built a relationship with the category manager in the northern parts of Florida, up near Jacksonville. And she was welcome to it. She's like, great, here, here, let's have, you know, here's the network of this region of stores. Let's get the flowers in all of them. And of course, once word gets out to um, 7-Eleven or other competitors that you're coming in and you're going to put flowers into Circle K, well, now they're interested and they're saying, hey, well, you know, we got to get these into our store. So we went up and did a show uh, with uh, 7-Eleven and, um, and had plenty of folks sign up as well. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting network. It's a very, very small, you know, you hear this all the time about how small the world is or how small the network, how much everybody knows everybody is really true. So once you're in there um, now, don't mess up right? because it can equally, it can equally go away. Right. So if you're, if you're not providing good service, so I don't, I don't mean to, to, to sort of suggest it's, it's easy. You get a relationship and it's just, you know, Hey, you know, just do it. Um, it's, it's not, you have to maintain your service levels. The flowers have to be good. You know, they have to know that they're getting taken care of. Um, we can talk about Valentine's and Mother's Day and what that means, you know, cause there, there are sort of two super, super bowls that happen. You have to be there for the customers. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, for me, in my experience over the last year, it's less about getting the customer. It's more about keeping them. Mm-hmm. Well, and just about, but about getting the customer, I'm just struck you're, you're, I, I feel like you're right in your, your comment that it's not typical to sell, um, flowers at convenience stores, but, um, it's also not completely novel because I can, I can just envision the kind of plastic wrapped single rows, like kind of flower pot of single roses, you know, that are for sale at the counter. It's often a spot buy, I guess, or yeah, at, you know, a, 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 you know, a sheets gas station in Virginia or sort of, sort of thing. So I I am surprised it's, it kind of seems like it would either the industry would have taken to the concept by now or not. So I, I guess I'm repeating a previous question, but just that the, that the Greenfield opportunity exists surprises me because it doesn't seem like it's an entirely novel or foreign idea to sell individual stem roses at a convenience store. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and and, we, and just for, for clarity, we don't just sell single stem roses. We will sell, um, we, we have four products that we sell. We sell single stem roses. Uh, we sell uh, a three rose bouquet. 
Uh, and then we mm-hmm. sell what's called a seasonal bouquet, which is just really anything that you can imagine. It sort of varies through season. And then we sell a, uh, a, a, a rose, a real live rose that is encased in a glass bubble filled with a, oh. a preservative. And it's, it's sort of a decorative uh, item. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. sell those, those four products. Um, and, and I think you're right. It's, it's not a total foreign concept to, to have uh, uh, flowers in a store like that. Uh, I think what's, what's different about us and what has typically been the trend is small mom and pop florists. It's, it's where you can touch. It's the region. Right. So so small mom and pop florists would sort of say, hey, you know, these five or six convenience stores are right near my flower shop. Let me go in and see if they'll put my flowers in. We're um, we're able to to provide uh, the same consistent product to the whole network. Uh, I, I will tell you the other sort of secret item that we have, I guess, or a secret to our success um, is we are we are one of very few florists that are uh, uh, willing to do what's called scan-based trading. And scan-based trading is, is, is really where you make a difference in the convenience store setting. Um, that, they will, that, that gives you a huge edge in getting your product in the store. And I can elaborate on that a little bit if you... Yeah, tell us, you, tell us what that right. is. So, so, so back in the day or the traditional model, let's just say you sold chocolate and so great the will smith chocolate bar is debuted and will smith wants to go into a store and say hey i've got these wonderful chocolate bars here have a hundred i'll sell you for a dollar a piece well the typical transaction for a convenience store would be you would expect them to give you a hundred dollars for your hundred chocolate bars and the transaction is done and then they will add their margin and they'll sell them for a dollar fifty and so the world works that way most of the time Right. So convenience right. stores uh, quite a while ago uh, came out with a new model called uh, scan-based trading, which now let's take the same chocolate bars. Now, instead of handing Will $100, what they're going to tell Will selling his chocolate bars is, you know what, Will, we do like your chocolate bars. We think they're amazing. We're going to allow you to put those chocolate bars here on our shelves. And every time somebody buys one, you'll get your dollar we'll get our 50 cents. That just changed the entire cash flow model for the convenience stores, right? They're not giving you, they're not handing out, they're not taking a risk. So they're not handing you $100. They're going to, every time one sells, that's when you get paid. So that's how actually how our roses work. So our flowers are all scan-based. So I don't collect, I put them into these stores completely at my risk. So I only get paid when one sells. So, and, and, well, I was just going to say, ask the obvious question, like, how are you able to absorb this risk where your competition isn't? And, you know, and did you make this change or did you inherit the scan based model from your, from the original founder owner? I inherited that. I, I inherited that was the other sort of thing that we saw that was like, you know, that was sort of the third, the third piece. So, so we, we, we saw that, that there were competitors not served. We saw that regions could be expanded upon and we saw that it was scan based. That was an actual differentiator. So we're like, aha, yeah. now we've got an opportunity here. This, this sort of meets all the criteria to sort of go in and conquer the world. And so, yeah. um, 
we, we learned a lot about the relationship. There's uh, a third party involved with uh, sort of monitoring, keeping everybody honest with the scan-based uh, nature of things, watching their point of, uh, uh, point of sale system, and, and they take care of the payment. So, so that, um, that was a real game changer for us when the acquisition came around. We're like, aha, that's going to be the way to do it. Um, and so, yeah, is there risk? Absolutely, there's risk, right? I'm I'm taking all of the risk. So how do I offset mm-hmm. that? Well, I um, um, one of the things that our drivers do. So in the case of let's go back to Will's chocolate bars. So yeah. so how's Will? You know, Will's gonna you're gonna say, well, my gosh, I'm putting these chocolate bars in there. How do I know that they sell or don't sell? Well, you're gonna watch that point of sale. So it's all analytics. So so. I have a system, and so I would go into the store. I would drop drop off your hundred chocolate bars, and I'd say, "Hey, I dropped off a hundred. Put that into the system." And then I go in the following week, and I'm going to take returns of those chocolate bars that didn't sell because they're not going to be fresh forever. And I'm going to say, "Hey, I dropped off a hundred last week, and now I'm picking up fifty. This is not a good store. This is not a good store. We need to, we we don't need to drop off a hundred anymore." So I do the same thing with my roses. So each store I monitor through the analytics systems that we have, and uh, I'm able to sort of watch and monitor how well the sales are performing on each route. So each driver goes in and does that um, data entry for me, and then I can mm-hmm. I can scale down or or move up. Right, that's the other thing too. Right, is this you know, 100 Will's chocolate bars <laughs> didn't. I mean, if they all sold out, well, they need 150. They need 200. Um, so I do the same thing with the roses is I will, I will increase or decrease based on those analytics. Yeah. And, and I assume after just a few weeks, you can really get a, a sense of, I assume sell through is pretty consistent outside of your two Super Bowls, outside of Mother's Day. And what was the other one? Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Outside of yeah. that, it's probably pretty consistent or at least consistent within a season. So in the summer, it's, you know, it's at a certain level and winter it drops or whatever. But um yeah, I mean, it, yeah, after four or six weeks, you can probably tell what a store is going to pretty reliably tell what a store is going to do you, and how you, many flowers you should be get, d- d- uh, delivering to it. You, you absolutely can. Uh, and one of the nice things is is uh, there, there were there were analytics in place. There was a data set that already existed with yeah. uh, the previous owner. So we're able to see this. Now, I will say this. The, the, the major caveat right now is that's all true, everything that you said, except nobody's ever live through what we're living through right now in this business, right? So, you know, with the price of gas going where it's going, the, 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 the recession word getting used, um, we are seeing some variability that we had not seen before. So we're, we're starting to see some just, I don't know, interesting data. It's, it's funny that, um, you know, usually it is consistent. Now there's a lot more choppiness to, to the analytics. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're I, I think, uh, you know, the consumer's, are, are, you know, they say much of this, whether a recession is true or not, is largely driven by attitude. And we're really starting to see the attitude. And of course, roses are a disposable income product. So yeah. uh, I can see as the attitudes are moving, <laughs> I can see that reflected in the sales. When you diligenced the business, how, how far back um, in the, in the P&L did you look? Three, Was it, three years. Did you just go back three years? Three years. Yeah. 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 Okay. Three years. Okay, cool. Let's talk a little bit about the um, the team and, and employees that you inherited, uh, and also about um, change. I, I thought it was really interesting your your approach to change, really clean and and um, 
effective sounding. Um, and also just a reminder to folks, you said you kind of glossed over it, but at the top, you said that you had been involved. In fact, your mayonnaise moment at corporate was dealing with an M&A situation. So you'd seen M&A in the corporate world and you knew how important and delicate change management is. Anyway, how big was the team uh, that you acquired? And then what? how did you, um, you know, deliver the message of your new, that you're the new owner and assuage their concerns about what that might mean? Great. Um, yeah, thanks. Great questions. I, I, you know, early in my career, gosh, what seems like a hundred years ago, I remember being on the, the A side. I was, we were acquired and, and at the time I was a young manager and um, I remember this executive coming in and, uh, you know, the typical process where, where the acquisition has finished and now the, the new executive team comes in and they sort of have their little meet and greets and, and coffee talks and firesides. And, and this one particular executive said, listen, we bought this company because we loved it. There will be no changes. And of course, over the years, I have learned that is the stupidest thing to ever tell anybody, especially a group of employees who are full of anxiety. Of course, there's going to be changes. Of course, there's going to be change. Change is going to happen whether the acquisition happened or not, because outside forces change. So of course change is going sure. to occur. And um, yeah. um, to, to say that you bought a company and you're not going to change anything, well, then why did you buy it? I mean, come on. Of course you're going to want to influence it and do different things. So, so having learned from that and, and being a part of, of, of corporate America, I, I, I sort of learned a lot of good lessons about what not to do. Uh, and so when I came on board, uh, we, we finished the acquisition. We, we got introduced to the team. Um, one of the commitments I made to, to the employees right away was I will make no changes for six months. <laughs> and that was the truthful caveat. I said, I will, I will, uh, you know, I said, unless it's an outside force of which we could have done nothing about anyway, um, I won't, I will commit to, to not changing anything for six months. Um, I, my job at the time as the new owner, in my opinion, was to shut up and listen and learn and do every job that I could do. Right. So I, I learned how to, um, prepare the roses. I, I, did the purchases. I drove on routes. I delivered to customers. I, 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 uh, you know, whether it didn't matter what time of the day it was, uh, you know, I did the job. Um, and that was imperative. I, I had to learn what were good things that existed, what were what were bad things that, that needed to go, what, what all had to change. Um, but I wouldn't touch it for six months. Um, and so uh, the, the, that was important. It was important that I kept my word to the employees um, because, of course, they're, you know, they're anxious. They don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. What am I going to do? Are they all going to, you know, everybody sort of immediately goes to disastrous thinking, you know, he's going to lay everybody yeah. off. He's going to bring in his own team. And of course I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I have, I have most of the employees that I acquired, I still have today. Um, most of the drivers are all still the same drivers. Um, and so um, that, that was just an important approach to change. And I highly recommend it for, for, for those that ever, you know, want to make an acquisition, be a part of something new. Number one, don't tell them you're not going to change anything. Of course you are. They're not, they're not stupid. And, and number two, 
do give them some time. You need to learn. You need to learn what's working and what's not. So don't just go in there ripping. Don't feel obligated, I think, uh, as, as a new owner. Well, I'm going to change everything to be my way. I'm going to have to make it the way yeah. I want it to, to get done. Resist that at first. Your time is coming. You're the owner. You don't need to sort of prove yourself. You've already bought the business. Now just relax, mm -hmm. learn, and then implement the changes over time. Uh, they'll, they'll appreciate mm -hmm. you for it a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot. And then and, and communicate and communicate that very clearly at the outset that you won't be changing six months. That particular bit of communication assuages the anxiety a lot, I assume. It does. It, it, a, it gets rid of the anxiety. And then what you'll find, here's what you'll find, um, uh, what I found uh, during that six month time. When they see that you're not going to do it and that you're going to leave it alone, there is no there's a line at your door of the things they want changed. <laughs> they will come to you. They will start telling you, oh, this has got to go. This has got to go. We don't like this. He's got to go. She's got to go. You know, all of this sort of stuff <laughs> sort of sort of bubbles to the surface. Uh, you know, now that they see that you're just going to wait and listen, they're, they're more than happy to talk to you. And and um, that's so funny. Yeah, it worked out. An interesting it worked out psychological Absolutely. kind of uh, reverse psychology. It yeah. was. It wasn't by design. It was just, you right. know, it's it just it's fascinating what happens if you actually shut up and listen. Well, and to this point about um, saying that you won't change anything for six months, um, you, I think you also said that when you when six month and a day six months and a day occurs and you are going to start implementing the changes, that you'll involve them in the changes. I recall you telling me. So, what was that bit of the message? Exactly. Um, uh, so, so, so that's the other thing. Don't do anything in isolation. Don't do anything because no matter how smart you think you are. You're not. <laughs> You're not as smart as you think you are. And it's so tremendously important to understand the ripple effects that are around the corner and five ripples away from the decision that you're about to make. And you think it's wise, um, but you, you want to have them on board. You, you, you want to exercise the change. You, you, you want them a part of the decision. So you want to you premedicate. I call it premedicate your team. Okay, guys, I've listened. It's six months in a day. I've heard your feedback. We don't like, like so in our case, we used um, um, uh, one, one of the changes that, that, that was a pretty significant one in our business was we, we carried around these little printers that you see like at a rental car. Uh, when you return the yeah. rental car, you know, and Avis will rip off a little ticket for you. We, yeah. we had that. Uh, and, uh, we, we use those for, for almost all stores, even if they were scan based. Now, of course, realize when they're scan based, they don't, you can put a hundred flowers, you can put a thousand flowers. They don't, they don't really care how many you put in there because they're not taking the risk. And so, and here we are delivering tickets to them. And so there was just all this flurry of all this ticketing going on. And of course the staff, the team is looking at me going like, we hate these tickets. We hate these tickets. Nobody wants to do the tickets. You got to do a ticket. You got to wait in line. Then you got to get the store to stamp it, sign it, all this kind of stuff. So we ended it. We just ended it. We said, look, if you're a scan-based customer, get in, do the change on the computer. You don't have to print them a ticket. And, but I, t I like to test things. So, so yeah. what I will often do is I will choose a driver, right? So, so another change that I did was the, the workflow on the computer. But I don't just roll that out. Right. So I, I choose someone. I say, hey, let's test this. You're going to be the only guy who does this. 
run this through. Let's see a couple cycles of how that works for the customer, how that works for the analytics, how that works for you as a driver. And if we like the change, we'll roll it out to everybody. But when they feel like they're a part of it, you know, it gives you, um, you don't look like a tyrant, first of all. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. if, If you do, and you will make mistakes, but when it's a mistake, it's all our mistake. So then it's, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone. Like, mm-hmm. wow, you made a boneheaded decision. Um, but then they all feel a part of it, you know, and, and they'll embrace it. And so if you do mess up, you go, hey, guys, we all made this decision. It didn't work out. And they're like, okay, they're not going to throw rocks at you, you know. And so just it's important, I think, especially as a small business, team is everything. I mean, yeah. you know, I can't deliver all the flowers, right? There's 600 stores. It's, it's 10,000 a week. It's, it's, I can't do that by myself. I need that team and they have to feel a part of it. So, so I, um, um, I not only involve them in the changes, uh, I think I do one other important thing. Uh, and I highly recommend this to everybody, give them skin in the game. I give them a bonus. I I bonus them every quarter. So every quarter I look at how well we've performed and I make them a part of it. So that they all feel like they're part of this business together. And um, we, we, we're going to make it together or we're going we're gonna to die together. So, so again, it's just, just constantly sort of reinforcing the concept of team, I think will serve you, serve you well as a small business entrepreneur. And that uh, new bonus structure is, is net new, net new salary for them or compensation for them, Correct. or did it, Wow. So that, well, that was a happy change when you delivered that news. Uh, it, it is. Now I, I do tell them it's, um, it is discretionary. First and foremost, it's the performance of the business, right? So sure. if the business is impacted and it's starting to get tough, you know, gas is, you know, doubled since I bought the business. Um, uh, so it doesn't, you know, we're, we're not always going to have really big bonuses. Sometimes we'll have small bonuses, but I'll do, the, I'll do the best I can to always share in, uh, in our rewards for sure. And it's kind of a typical kind of profit sharing program. It is. It is. Uh, although mm-hmm. it's, it's completely discretionary uh, by me. So I don't, I, I can't say that I have a, a, a formula that sort of works because there's always so many exceptions to these formulas. We've tried to figure one out, but um, with the team, with the team as a change, you know, I said, Hey, let's, let's mm-hmm. openly and transparently work on a formula together. We never really came up with one that we all liked. So, so I said, okay, well then I'll just decide. And everybody's been comfortable mm-hmm. with that so far. And how many employees were there when you acquired the business? So when I acquired, there were six, seven, eight. There were eight. eight. And does that, does that include the seller? That does not include the seller. If you, it would be 10 if you okay. included the sellers. Okay. Husband and wife. So eight, husband and wife team. And so there are eight. And then, and then you did... As I recall from our pre-call, you did have to let a couple of people go. I did. We made a change. Can, can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah. So um, um, as we started to, um, you know, the, the first six months got under our belt. We're now working on the year. Um, I can see growth not only happening, we're starting to work on the, um, the north, the Jacksonville area uh, extension, mm-hmm. that depot. So I can sort of see around corners now. I'm like, wow, our volume's going to go from, you know, 10,000 a week to 15,000 a week to possibly 20,000 flowers a week that we're going to be uh, distributing, which is great. So now one of the things you got to think about is scalability. Well, can you scale it? And does this work? 
where are all the choke points in the process? One of the things that we were doing uh, was we were actually sleeving the flowers ourselves. So we were actually, you know, taking the roses would come in raw, you know, they'd come off the bush, they'd package them up. We would get them in pretty raw form. We'd have to pick the stems, pick the, um, uh, the leaves off, so to speak, you know, any thorns that were sort of out of whack and the petals and sort of get that rose to look very beauty and the beast like. And so, um, and then once it was there, you had to put it inside of a barcoded sleeve. Well, imagine doing that 10,000, 15,000, 30,000 times because, you know, Mother's Day comes around, Valentine's Day comes around. Now you double the flowers. So, you know, there we are in our holidays doing 30 to 40,000 roses in a week's time. So it was, it was, it was, you know, at the size of the business at the time, it was sort of a funny thing to be watching. I mean, it's just, there's flower petals everywhere. There's leaves everywhere. It's just, it was chaos. And so, uh, you know, on one, on the one hand, you can sort of laugh at and go, wow, this is just a beautiful disaster. Uh, But on the other hand, you sort of like, but how am I going to do this if I grow the business? I can't, I can't grow the business. Um, so uh, I, I had to reach out to some different suppliers and say, I need this volume and I need these things sleeved when they show up at my door. So I need these things barcoded and prepped and ready to go in Colombia. And that's what we did. So, so we made the decision to go ahead and have that done in South America so that when I got it, I did not have that choke point and we could just get these things loaded up and sent out. And that's what we did. Uh, so oh. that unfortunately, you know, it's, it's the right change for the business and I stand by it. Um, the drivers are extraordinarily happy um, because they're not, there's no choke point that they're waiting on. But it did unfortunately mean um, the end of two very good, two very good employees we had to let go. And you provided a severance to them. How did that work? I did. Um, so I, I um, one of the one of the the employees had been with us um, probably. Oh, I think she was fifteen to seventeen years. So she had been with us for a very long time. And 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 all she did all day was this process of correct, of wrapping. Correct. Had done it for wow. years. And um, she uh, and but I felt they deserved respect and appreciation for what they had contributed to the business. And uh, I severanced uh, uh, a couple months uh, salary for them um, so that they had what I called a soft landing, right? So, yeah. so that they were able to transition successfully to, to, to another role. So I just thought that was important. It's not only important, I think, for it's the right thing to do for the employees themselves, uh, but it is equally as important that your current employees see how you treat exiting employees so they know how they're going to be treated right so so it's important to me that they see how how i treat people um so that they're not you know concerned or worried that if if something happens and and they need to you know their position goes away they know that i'll do the right thing yeah uh you know jason as you talk about that process of of sleeving flowers yes it sounds like just really laborious and messy. Um, on the other hand, what you often find with businesses is that like um, they'll at a certain size, they'll want to go up or down their own value chain 
to capture more of the value. Mm-hmm. So in your case, going up value, going up the chain would mean, you know, basically just buying raw flowers and doing the packaging, the sleeving yourselves. Like presumably there was um, value capture there by your business, more more profit to be had. Um, and so, you know, I guess that's that's kind of classic vertical integration is like if you can go all the way up, sure. you know, and grow your own flowers, you're fully ver- vertically integrated. And, and so your business um, was kind of going a step in that direction. You still had a long way to go, presumably to grow your own flowers. But um, but anyway, it just, it just strikes me that you you were you were kind of disintegrating your supply chain with this this decision um, more than integrating your supply chain, which is you know, the, the reverse of what I usually hear when it comes to decisions like these. Sure. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll just, I'll throw on uh, a couple additional variables about flowers that might be interesting in, in what you decide to capture on the value chain. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go back to your chocolate, right? So, mm-hmm. so chocolate doesn't perish at the same rate as a flower. So there might be more opportunity for Will's chocolate bars for you to capture different pieces. One of the things to keep in very, very important uh, uh, to remember about flowers, any flower, is it's a dying product. <laughs> it's dying the moment you have separated it from the bush. So you're on the clock, right? So, so there might have been or there might be opportunity one, one could make the argument there is opportunity for me to keep that piece of the equation but anything that you do that risks the time affiliated with getting you you want to keep as short as possible the moment that thing comes off the bush to getting into the hands of the consumer and anything that you do in between that disrupts that time or extends that time, it's a detriment to yourself. So it's not really value. Yeah. So it's just something to keep in mind with a perishable product that's sort of different than, say, other types of products that you don't have the clock on you as much as you possibly do with, with roses. And so that's that's what I was forced to look at is is – yeah, should I give up? Uh, you know, you, I, I would also say that in, in business, right, you're, you're constantly robbing Peter to pay Paul making these decisions about what the right ones are and the wrong ones are. Um, in our case, I, I was exchanging time. I'm exchanging time. I need, yeah. I need, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up a little bit to in, in exchange for shortening that time window to get the flowers out the door. Um, it's just great, it's great. critical. Yeah, you, you, your you, your business is just kind of li- living under the like the tick 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 Constant. tick 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 of, on the of, of the timer. You're on the <laughs> clock. It's 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 dying when they cut it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason, a few more questions for sure. you. Um, uh, kind of all over the place. Um, give us a sense of. A single location, I know it varies, you know, from a big convenience store with tons of traffic Mm -hmm. to, you know, a tinier one. Um, But can you give us a sense, a ballpark, a range of how many, um, how much revenue per month a single location, a new location would represent for you? Um, Let's see. A, a, as you said, you're, you're right. I mean, we have stores that, that struggle to sell 10 a week. Um, oh. it, you know, that, that, that it's tough for them. Sometimes it's, it's about where they're located. Sometimes their location is, is a struggle for them. Uh, in other cases, it's, you know, there's construction or, or something happening at the store. Um, 
Others are absolute gold mines. It's it's unbelievable. We we have stores that sell as high as um, uh, I think our top performing store is is eighty plus flowers a week. Um, and and so it's kind of interesting. The, the more um, the more rural and out there a store is, it's it's interesting that these these convenience stores become the grocery stores of, yeah. of the communities, right? So if there's, if, if your location's not, if your area or your community is not big enough to be a Kroger or a Publix or a food line, whichever, I don't know where all your viewers are, but the Publix is the big grocery chain here. Um, yeah. Then, you know, the, the, the small mom and pop convenience store becomes the grocery store. And it's not unusual, by the way, we've, we've seen some locations have plumbing supplies, in them they become little tiny home <laughs> depots you know it's a home depot it's mm-hmm. a grocery it's a gas and it's flowers and so they sort of have to, to, to so so it does sort of run the gamut if you if you um if you average it out uh, i i would say the average um the the average store is about 15 15 flowers a week that i sell right so that that i can count on uh, get sold. So just you, you take all the tens and all the eighties and you sort of amalgamate it. And, and that's what you get is, is on average about 15 flowers. And that would represent, uh, that would represent about 40, 40 to $45 of revenue a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then your profit on that is six is about 33%. A third, maybe? Correct. Yep. Yep. A third to about 40%. So somewhere between there. Now, the reason I'm giving a variable is my prices are different depending on different stores. Um, and uh, the the prices vary on seasonal bouquets, three rows bouquets, singles, single roses. But generally speaking, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you for that. The, um, one of the things that, that people looking at buying a business, um, acquiring minds listeners think about a lot is how big a business to buy. Uh, and there's, there's some kind of conventional wisdom that, um, for a certain type of searcher, you're, you're a little bit different. Um, but for a certain type of searcher, a business with 700,000 SDE up to a million is the sweet spot. It's big enough. It's it's too small for private equity, so you're not going to be competing against really right. you know deep pocketed serious players. Um, but big enough that with eight hundred thousand in SDE, you have first of all these folks are all taking SBA loans. You weren't, so they have debt service. So right. that eight hundred thousand in SDE immediately drops to let's call it half, call it four hundred SDE, and then from that four hundred, they want to pay themselves a you know, a salary competitive with, with what they could get at a corporate job. So hundred, let's call it 150. That's 250 left over to reinvest in the business. Um, but, in, but some really nice cushion there as well, where they can really on day one, just be working on the business, not in the business. Right. Um, and, and so your business is quite a bit smaller than that, but you also didn't have the debt service. So that right. changes things considerably. Um, but any, just any immediate reaction to that in size of business? Um, like were you, were you, for example, looking at, was 250 SDE like your hard number or were you looking at a wide range? Did you have that dialed in even, or were you just kind of open to all opportunities or what? Right. So, I mean, I mean, first and foremost, of course, you, you got to live, you got to eat, right? So, you, you know, you examine <laughs> your, your lifestyle and you, 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 you look at, you know, how much, how much do I have to be bringing in every year to, uh, you know, to live and to eat? 
Um, right. Um, so, so there's your starting point, <laughs> you know, forget everything yep. else. You got to make sure you're okay. Um, yep. and so, so, so we did that uh, you're right. We were in a different place. We were in a different, um, um, spot given that we were going to use our own money. Um, so, so I think what, to, to answer your direct question, when, when people think about how big, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to suggest that SDE is the right measure. So I, okay. I'd be careful with that. I'd be careful. Certainly it's a piece. I mean, you know, the numbers should be positive for starters. Uh, and the numbers mm -hmm. should be enough for you to, you know, that there's enough, you got enough nickels left over at the end of the month that you can, you can make a living. Um, but first and foremost, it's, it's, it's some of the same principles that I, I shared, right? You, you got to love what you do and, and you better first make sure above all else, I don't care how much the money is, can you handle it? Can you handle it? Right. And by handle it is, you know, a lot of people want to jump into this, uh, you know, small business ownership, medium sized business ownership. You're everything. I mean, I, I've, uh, you know, all the cliche things are all true, right? You're the chief bottle washer. You know, I've, I've done it all. You know, there's, nobody cares about the business more than you do. So you've got to first make sure that everything, all the moving parts, you're capable of handling. Because I don't care what SDE is. SDE is not going to be there if you can't keep the ship floating, so you've got to be able to do operations. You've got to be able to do sales and marketing. You've got to be able to understand accounts payable. Are you losing money? Is, is uh, you know, do you have theft going on? Not, not anything intentional necessarily, but do you have leakage? Uh, you've got to be able to detect all those things. So if you don't have all the right pieces in, I really don't care how big of a business it is. You've got to be able to, to, to handle it. Um, so um, I, I would just be, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm a little more wary than others of just sort of using financials. P&L is not everything. Um, yeah. Because you, you'll hate it in six months if you can't keep up. If, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're putting in 10, 12 hours a day and you're still not keeping up and you don't have your arms around the business and you can't manage things on a pinch, I don't, man, I don't care what the number is. You're going to hate it. Yeah. You're going to hate it. Well, and, and, and actually to, that's a great um, point because one of the, one of the arguments that I failed to make for a larger business is that usually that's usually a good proxy for a business having a management layer. So if a business right. is doing a million dollars in cash flow, it's likely to have some, some management that's not going to be just you on day one. Um, Fair enough. So. Fair enough. And I'll, and, I, and I'll, I'll validate your point. Um, uh, and, and talk a little bit about the success that we've had. So um, we, um, we will probably be at, if, if all things stay on their current trajectory, we'll be at about 700 of SDE this year. That's awesome. It is great. And, and I mean, congratulations. That's so it. cool. We're really thrilled with it. And I've added another manager, so I've had to add another manager. You know, so, so, you, so you're exactly right um, that you've 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 got to be wise enough to know. Okay, this is getting bigger. That just you know, I'm I'm going to have to 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 eat my own food here. Right? Is is what I said is true? You got to make sure you can handle it. And I recognized that I can't. Right? I recognized that okay, a second location is going to require 
some help. I can't be at two places at one time. I can't, you know, I know what is involved and what it takes to do one location. And so now I had to hire on, uh, in this case, a, a very dear friend who's, who's probably been with me for, for over 10 years. Um, so somebody that I trust, but, but absolutely. So now, now I have a chief operating officer, somebody that's going to help me with, with the operations of a second location. And so it's kind of funny that you said, you know, right around that number, that's when you got to start to add a management yeah. layer and you do, it's true. It's true. There's just, just enough moving parts that you've got to have it with you. So, um, and, and, but your day to day, let's say prior to opening Jacksonville, mm-hmm. um, are you, would you would you say you're working in the business or on the business? Uh, you know that that distinction can be over sure. uh, overstated some, but like you know, actually on our pre call, uh, you may recall you were you were actually sitting in one of your vans. Yes, I was on a route. <laughs> you were, you were on a route, yeah. so you were definitely working in the business at least sometimes. Although I right. realize that was an exception. Right. But talk to give give us a sense of your day to day at a business of this size. Yeah, I would say you know I'm not going to count the first six months. Of course, this the first six months you're in way in. If you're smart, you're yeah. in as far deep as you can go. Yeah, making the decisions because you made the de- deliberate decision to get in there and learn every Absolutely. everything. I wanted to know everything. Yeah. And, and by the way, I've done that even in my corporate jobs. If you go back when I was doing laboratory diagnostics, I did every job I was legally allowed to do, right? Because I, I didn't think you could be a good executive. How, how in the world do you participate and make decisions if you don't actually know what it takes to unpack a box or move a specimen or drive a forklift? So I did it all. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so there was no difference here. Um, so so I, I, um, uh, I did uh, all the roles. So the first, you dismissed the first six months. You're just, you're just in. These last mm-hmm. six months, on on average, on net, I would say it's about 80-20. I'm, I'm 80% working on the business, 20% mm-hmm. in the business. And that's because I have a great team. I have a great team. You know, I've, I've sort of made all the decisions that we've made, retained who we've retained. Uh, and I've got a really good team and set expectations with them that I need them to sort of step up and do different things. But the 20%... The 20, you know, a lot of our business is distribution. So you're going to spend a lot of time making car decisions. <laughs> so you're going to be doing a lot of mm. stuff about flat tires and oil changes and these types of things. But um, the uh, um, I, I would say I would spend about 20 percent there. And, and a lot of that, too, is sort of self-inflicted. I do that so that I stay in touch. You know, yeah, uh, I think it's important, yeah. important that my my folks see me involved in the business and uh, that I always keep my hands so that my fingers always on the pulse of what's going on. Makes me a better leader. To that point, for sure. And to that point, are you folks um, all seeing each other at the depot? Is there an office? What, what's the, just the lay of the land there? There is. Um, there, we, we, have an, we have an office slash depot slash warehouse, walking coolers, yeah. that type of thing with all the flowers in it. Yeah. Um, and so everybody sort of comes and goes from that, from that place, that location. And so we all see each other in passing. It's interesting. Uh, one of the nice, beautiful things about uh, convenience stores is they're open 24 hours. So I have some routes. Uh, you know, I, w- one of the ways I, I retain and sort of attract drivers, as opposed to like Amazon or somebody like that, is I offer flexibility. So I have I have drivers that leave. Some start their routes at 11 at night, and they're done five in the morning. I have others that start at five in the morning and. You know, they cho- choose to drive during the day. So so they choose their schedules. I don't tell them what they have to do. That's great. Um, they get to pick yeah. their hours. They get to, for the most part, pick their days. I just have one sort of overall demand, which is once a week, your flowers need to get dealt with for your customers. However you choose to do that 
is how you do it. And, and they love that. They, they love that flexibility. Aside from flowers specifically, you know, fundamentally yours is a distribution business. What would you tell other people out there who are thinking about buying a distribution business? What, how, how do you find it? Sure. Well, I think you, I think you, you, you said it right where it's, it's flowers, but flowers are almost about 10% of, of what we do. Uh, you need to be prepared in the distribution business. You are in the car business, make no mistake. You're in the car <laughs> business, right? And you better understand oil changes and tire rotations and how long tires last and how long vehicles last. And it's a real challenge now with the chip shortage. So yeah. the chip shortage has uh, by default caused a vehicle shortage. So our, yeah. the best vehicle for us, in our case, are the small vans. Uh, the Sprinter van, so so not quite the size of an Amazon van, but a little the, the next sort of version down. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're not they're gone. I mean, you can't you can't get anymore. So it puts you in the used market, and in the used market, you're paying new car prices. So that's just sort of a reality. But but even under so so even if you normalize it, you're still in the car business. You're you're mm-hmm. very much. Your, your day-to-day, your week, your month is going to be spent making sure that those vehicles are okay. And uh, I mean, that's your, that's your lifeblood of the business is making sure the cars. Now, in my case, um, you know, there's all sorts of distribution businesses, but um, in my case, I have to keep the flowers cool. So I get away with air conditioning, but, but air conditioning is very important. Other distribution businesses need refrigerated vehicles, which, you know, now a small van, a small refrigerated vehicle, you're you're looking at sixty to seventy thousand dollars wow. just to get a nice used one. So so yeah, make no mistake, whatever you're distributing, whether it's Will's chocolate bars or Jason's <laughs> flowers, uh, you're in the car business. Well, and and you're also in in the driver business, uh, right? Sort of thing. So and how, how have you been dealing with labor? Because yeah. you know we all hear about the trucking industry, or maybe this is a year or two ago, but for a while there, everyone was talking about trucking and how difficult it was to find truck drivers. Um, have you found it difficult to, on that, on that front? Uh, I, I have not. Uh, I, I would say, I would say a couple things. One is you, you drive good drivers, drivers with clean records, important to have clean record, right? Cause your insurance costs are going to be highly variable if you have a driver who's been in accidents or, or had a previous DUI or anything like that, that you're, you're going to pay for it in your insurance. So it's something to be very, very careful about. Um, mm-hmm. as, as I mentioned earlier, what, what I offer that is, that is a bit unique, I think, to, to some industries is uh, complete flexibility. So, so it, it, I allow the drivers to decide. I, I, actually, there's two, two wonderful things about the business uh, to the driver from the driver's perspective. One, it's the same stops every day. So it's not like Amazon or anything like that where you come into work, you pull up your computer, you don't know where you're going, all right? You, yeah. you don't know who, where oh, you're yeah. you know. My drivers have the same 30 to 40 stops. They get relationships with the customers that they meet. Yeah. So it's the same thing every, every week. The other is it's completely up to them. So it's totally up to them. You want to deliver Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You want to deliver Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, you need to shift the day. It's no big deal. You need to leave at 11 at night, five in the morning, whatever you want to do, you know, just get it done. You got 24 hours to make it happen. Yeah. So that flexibility has, has, I think really given me an edge 
Uh, in fact, I'm I'm right across the street from uh, you, you can see from my from from where we're at the the Amazon uh, sort of launch area where they keep all their vans. So and it doesn't doesn't intimidate me at all. Jason, the um, you know, it seems like you've actually a lot of people say that small business and corporate life are just two different universes. Mm-hmm. And it, and I, I, I suspect you agree. Um but it does seem like you've actually really been able to leverage a lot of your corporate experience in this business that you really are drawing on a lot of a lot of certainly you know the the transactions the, the acquisitions you were involved in um, in corporate while they were probably a lot larger than your own personal acquisition sure. it seems like there there some some principles carried through um, so so would you say that your corporate experiences how how helpful would you say your twenty plus years of corporate experience? were to this endeavor? Sure. Uh, I would say they've been, they've been helpful. I, I, I'd be unwise to, to sort of dismiss all of the experiences that I had. And by no means am I anti-corporate or, 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 or do I think, you know, it's just, it's just not a fit anymore, right? It's just you start to, you know, as, as companies have evolved and, 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 you know, that 80% I talk about just isn't attractive to me anymore. And I, I would be at risk in my own company, you know, and I'm starting to see a little bit of it, you know, that mayonnaise start to encroach in. So I have to be very careful <laughs> about not becoming a victim to the very thing that I didn't want to be a part of. Um, yeah. But, but <laughs> I'd be foolish not to, to leverage the, the experiences that I had uh, and sure. lessons that I've learned. Right. I mean, and, and they were very large organizations, smart organizations, wonderful people, wonderful teams, um, uh, good experiences, bad experiences. Um, and I've 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 taken from that. Um, uh, you know, I paid attention in business school, so I leverage business school. You know, University of Maryland was great. Um, I, 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 I would say, uh, you know, I don't know. It's hard to put a number on it, but but I would say very much I've I'm leveraging what I've learned over the years. Um, you know, I didn't get these gray hairs from nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and now would you um, have done what you're doing now earlier if you'd kind of, if you'd known better or known different? Yeah, it's fair. I, I, I would say, I, I remember telling Linda, um, my wife, Linda, I said, you know, I think I now, I, I've long sort of prided myself on never having any regrets. And I think I have one, right? I should have done this 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I should have scratched the entrepreneurial itch, so to speak. Uh, I'm loving everything about it. You know, like I said, Mondays are still exciting. So I'm, yeah. I'm ready to go. Um, yeah, you know, it's not, not, not like everything is, is wonderful. There's 10% that's sort of irritating. But um, no, I, I, I wish I had done this much, much younger. Um, I think I would have had a far better time. Um, but, um, I don't know. Uh, and I'm still working on that as to whether it's officially a regret or not, because at the same time I had wonderful experiences in my previous career as well. And so, um, who knows, it might not have been as successful as this is had I not had those experiences. So, um, exactly. I mean, part of the reason you're, you're feeling so good is that you're crushing it. Yeah. And part of the reason, part of the reason you're crushing, it may, may well be that you had, you know, 20 years of wisdom accrued. Correct. Correct. And it, you know, learned, learned some mistakes on somebody else's dime. <laughs> so, right. You know, right. Uh, uh, I could have been boneheaded and silly on, uh, uh, on my dime and that would have, uh, made for a different interview possibly. 
So yeah, yeah. Okay, well, Jason, just to to um, take us out. So let let's just recap your growth again uh, in one in one answer. So sure. tell me, do I have this right? Um, you, why don't, why don't you do it for us again? So you've, revenue was in a million dollars when you bought it, 200, 250 SDE. That was 13 months ago. Where are you now? Yeah, so um, right now in the first uh, six months, we're over 700,000 in revenue. And um, I expect, uh, and well, and and right now in the first six months, we're, we're over 300,000 in SDE. So you can you can plot so a that doubling, out. Yeah, you can more plot. than a doubling of revenue. Yeah, in, yeah, in you SDE. can plot that out for the rest of the year. Yep, phenomenal. Yeah, so so long as I don't know, so long as their uh, gas doesn't <laughs> go too crazy on yeah. us here and and inflation right. stays right. somewhat in check, uh, we should be okay. Well, it's a, it's a really neat business. It has to it, it attracts me. I, I like distribution businesses for reasons I can't put my finger on, but they just draw me for some reason. I just find them neat and fun. Um, and, you know, at the risk of inviting competition, you know, if somebody if somebody is looking at a business like this in, in Seattle or some other region sure. that you're not going to, you know, go go conquer anytime soon, um, sounds like it, 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 this this phenomenon of kind of there being a lot of green field for this, mm-hmm. um, do, do, is your impression that that's the case around the country or, or do you know? I do know. Um, we, I did a show, uh, I did a show in Orlando, gosh, about um, three or four months ago. And I was approached by uh, multi-unit owners, multi, multi-hundred unit owners who wanted me immediately to head to New Jersey and Chicago. And I just, I'm out of gas. I mean, I can't, you know, um, my growth is sort of set. Um, I'll, I'll spill to you as well here at the end that um, um, in August, it is for sure that we are opening up near Jacksonville. Um, I have in the pipeline to open up locations in North Carolina, um, Virginia, and Miami. So, so I could be I would say within the next 12 months operating out of five locations. So is it out there? Yes, it is out there. Um, and, uh, and I don't mind competition. That's phenomenal. And, and last question, really, why do you think your previous, the the founder owner didn't, you know, this thing was so primed for growth. Why didn't they, why didn't they see it? Or what what was the story there? Yeah. Uh, fair, fair question. I think, uh, they had run the business for 30 years. So I I give them a tremendous amount of credit. They, they built this, you know, they, they, they built it. They put all the right steps in place. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some personal circumstances and, uh, you know, I, 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 I would guess that, um, you know, when you do something for 30 years, you're, you're kind of done. You're, you're ready to, yeah. to to do something else, and um, yeah, you know they have they had a set of personal things that they were wrestling with as a family, and um, they um, uh, they had done it for thirty years, and so I think that just everything sort of lined as equally as it had lined up for us, it had lined up for them to 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 move on to something else. Well, how fortunate that I mean, just right time for both yeah, for both been, parties. It's been yeah. great, and we remain great friends, and we 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 talk uh, as often as as possible. I see them from time to time. They're still they're still uh, they spend a couple months out and down here in Florida, and 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 the rest in in their new state. But um, yeah, so we're still in touch, and they're 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 very happy about the growth for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. 
Cool. Well, Jason, a hearty congratulations oh, on you. the growth. That is that that is quite an impressive um, first year in a business. Thank you. Uh, and it, as I said, a really neat business to me. So really, really cool to hear hear from you in a year and how many locations you're in at that point. Oh, it'd be great. Yeah. I'd love to do it. Great. All right, Jason. Thanks for your time, sir. All right. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will.